Hey, folks, welcome once again to There's Just Something About Kansas City. And, of course, this guy is Mr. Kansas City, George Brett, and he's got his— Did uh, I wear my appropriate <laughs> top today? You wore your appropriate top, Because yeah. I knew what the title of the show was. It's about <laughs> Kansas City, so if you're listening and you're not watching, I'm wearing a white hoodie with Kansas City printed across the front. Right across them. Yeah. You, you, love, you love this city. I, I don't do. think there's any yeah. doubt about that. It's you been have, good to me. Yeah, it really has been. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that as we go along. You know, it was uh, we tried to get George in here a little bit earlier. We had a little— Technical problem the first time around, but it almost was divine intervention. Although I don't believe in a whole lot of divine intervention, yeah. but it was divine because we ended up delaying it for after uh, your um, your great documentary on uh, MLB Network, and I just thought it was done great, and I learned some things about you I hadn't known before. I knew about a few things, but not quite in the same uh, the same stratosphere that some of those things ended up being for you and and uh, and your brothers and uh, of course uh, your mom Ethel. But um, it was I thought it was really well done. And how what do you think? I talked to you afterwards and you you well, liked it. Yeah, it, it it's weird. Um, it's called Brett, by the way. Major yeah, League I, I I get a call from Sam Mellinger who works for the Royals mm-hmm. now and used to be a great uh, columnist for the Kansas City Star and. Uh, I got a call one day, and he said, hey, uh, MLB wants to do a documentary on you because, you know, it's your 50th year since you broke into the wow. major leagues, and you're still employed by them, and I think that's a pretty cool story. So I said, sure, you know, what, whatever. And um, so basically they came over to the house, talked to me for about an hour and a half, two hours, and uh, then they came back about two or three weeks later, and we went out to the stadium and shot some stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And that night they came over to the house. We did a little barbecue in the backyard and interacted with my kids. And and then they put it all together. Yeah. You know, and I didn't know they were flying around talking to Reggie, uh, Mike Schmidt, Robin Yount. I didn't know they were doing that. And they Reggie Jackson. To, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, well, there's only one Reggie. Well, Come that's on. true. Okay. And uh, <laughs> you know what? You got Mr. a October, whatever. <laughs> you got a point. Who's turned out to be a really good friend of mine. But yeah. Uh, um, and then, uh, you know, some old teammates and stuff. So it was, you know, I was a little nervous going to it. It's, it's almost like going to your own funeral because, <laughs> you know, I watched, the, I watched the Yogi one. Yeah. Because Yogi was a good friend. And, and, you know, Yogi didn't get a chance to see it because, as he always said, you know, I try to go to everybody's funerals because if you don't go to theirs, they won't come to They're yours. They're not coming so. to yours. Or you might not live everybody, too. <laughs> there won't be anybody there anyway. <laughs> one of his greatest lines ever. Yeah. But, uh but it was. I was flattered by it. It really was. It, I saw footage that I've never seen before, and and the home run off my brother, and some of the interviews after the playoffs and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was. Uh, I was. I was pleased. I, I. I was a little disappointed uh, in in two things. I never mentioned my mom once. Right. And really never mentioned my two living brothers. You know, my brother Ken passed away years right. ago. We talked from, about uh, Ken. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Talked about him because we had more in common, and we were teammates mm-hmm. and. Uh, for a year and a half, but uh, uh, I was a little disappointed that that my mom's name was never mentioned. And I know we talked about her. Her name had to come up in a two-hour interview. Oh, Ethel, definitely. And, There's no and, doubt. And, she was uh, mom. But she's on the editing floor right now. Yeah, but all in all, mom. I was happy with it. I was very happy. Yeah, and they didn't talk to John or Bobby. Yeah, they Bobby didn't was talk your to agent, them. and John's your oldest brother. Right. So he was, uh, you know, he was he was pretty instrumental as you were yeah. getting older, you know. Well, and, John was the one that pushed me the most. I mean, he really was, and we had a batting tee in our garage and a tarp, and and uh, you know, I would put him put him on the tee for him, and he'd put him on the tee for me. Mm-hmm. We had a little squares. You tried to hit balls in squares, and that'd be a single, that'd be a double, or you'd get two points for that, five points for that, and and uh, and then we would always go, not always, but a lot of times we'd go to a park, uh, a little baseball stadium about as close to the ocean as you could get. Uh, you could see the ocean from it. Mm-hmm. And and uh, my brothers would pitch to each other and I'd shag, and then it was my turn to hit. And uh, when it was my turn to hit, we jumped in the car. Picked, I had to pick up all the balls. And, of course you did. And when it was my turn to hit, we just went to the beach. <laughs> I never got to hit. All yeah, I got to I'll do was shag. Yeah, I got to shag. and We might start off with 25 balls and – Next thing you know, they're counting the balls. They say, there's only 23. Go find those other two. Yeah, yeah. beat it, George. Go find them. <laughs> Go find they're down, them. They're down in the bushes somewhere. Along, and they're, along they're, the in the, they're in the seaweed. And, you know, <laughs> it was brutal. You, you know what I don't think people realize, and I know everybody knows Kemmer, 
Ken, and we, we'll talk about him in a minute, too. He might have been Shoei Otani before Shoei Otani was Shoei Otani, mm-hmm. a kid who could – they probably really didn't know what to do with him because he's such a great pitcher and he's such a great player in the field as well. But what the other people don't know is Bobby and uh, John both – they're pretty good baseball players in their own right. You yeah, know? they were. I mean, they were. I think Jim, my brother John was the first captain ever at El Segundo High School, and and um, and then I think all my brothers were captains, and I was the captain my senior year. Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, he he probably liked the game of baseball the most. Uh, uh, unfortunately. Um, you know, he might have come up a little short. Uh, maybe he couldn't hit a breaking ball. I don't mm-hmm. remember. But uh, it's a funny story with him is that he uh, he got drafted by the Red Sox. And there was a guy on their team in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, called Walt Ranson. I'll never forget this. And, hey, JB, how are you? He's right there. I'm telling a good story about you. And, and Carlton Fisk was on the team. And Carlton was the number one draft pick. And Dennis Gilbert. You know who Dennis Gilbert is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Dennis was the on agent, the team right? also. Yeah. Go-go. And so my brother was having a party after one of the games. And, and this, as the story goes, uh, Carlton Fisk was kind of giving Walt Ranson a lot of crap because he was making a lot of errors. And and uh, my brother John said, hey, lighten up, man. You, you're being too hard on the kid. He's going to be a pretty good ball player. And the next thing you know, they words were exchanged, and my brother kind of beat the shit out of Carlton Fisk. And <laughs> two days later, he was released. And the lesson to be learned is you don't beat up the, fir- the first-round draft pick of the Boston Red Sox if you're a 20th-round draft pick because they're just going to release your ass. And they're, that's what they're just going to let you go, yeah. yeah. So you're talking about Johnny uh, getting yeah. in a fight with Carlton Fisk, and you shouldn't do things like that. No, that's a no-no. Number 20 draft pick against the number, number one draft one. pick. So yeah, yeah, not good. Yeah. Not so, good. And then the funny thing is, Carlton Fisk got inducted in the Hall of Fame a year after I did. <laughs> if he would have got in the same year I did, we could have had a rematch. Because <laughs> I think he still wants to go after him. I'll, I'll bet he does. Yeah, he's, he's still, <laughs> Carlton doesn't forget a whole lot, no, does he? No, yeah. I don't think he forgets. The, yeah. Either does my brother. Yeah, yeah, so. you bet. And how are um, how are the brothers? How are how are Bobby and, and Bobby's Johnny's doing fine. Doing yeah, Bobby's just he likes to work, and I don't like to work, so. We're, it's a great marriage between the two of us. Yeah, and he still has a lot of the entities. You have, you know, you Brett brothers. You got Brett brothers, but you We've also toned that have... back a little bit okay. now. We've toned that back. I don't go to China and Taiwan and, and okay, yeah, it's probably a good South idea. Korea every year, like I did for <laughs> years and years and years. But um, yeah, we've kind of made some adjustments in that. But uh, we still have the baseball teams and the hockey team and, right. and the real estate holdings, and that's yeah. what my brother loves to do. He just loves to to grind away at that stuff. Yeah, and he still lives in Spokane. Yeah, Spokane yeah. in the in the summers and uh and he lives right down the street from me about three quarters of a mile uh in Arizona. During the winter. He's got a place. At, yeah. in, in Paradise Valley. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, you do split a lot of your time between here and there. Well the winters. I, yeah, I do sure, the winters. Absolutely. But Kansas City will yeah. always I'll always maintain a residence here in oh, the summer. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So back to back to the and of course uh Ken, we lost Ken. Right. Um I think it was wonderful the way you and your brothers took care of his widow and the kids, uh, you know, once he had passed and just to make sure she was she was okay and things are going to, you know, work out for her. I she's think that doing was just, fantastic. Yeah. She's living. She's, she uh, remarried a guy from Sweden, uh, I believe, Gunnar. I think he's from Sweden, but he has a home in Sweden and Switzerland. Wow. And they, uh, they love to travel, and then they do – they spend probably five months a year in Sun Valley. She's got uh, a nice home in Sun Valley, and uh, they spend some summers there, and they spend part of the winter there too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been great. Yeah, yeah, she's been doing great. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think yeah. that I think that that was awesome. Not that I wouldn't think you wouldn't, but just because your brothers were so close and just sure. you always did everything like that. that yeah. Was, to me, that we're that was, partners in everything we do. Yeah. You know, right. Everything Absolutely. we do, it's like. My brother will come up with this idea, let's buy a baseball team, and then he'll say, you want in, you want in, you want in. Okay, let's buy another team. You want in, you want in. And so we're partners in, in basically everything that we do. Yeah, so if, if one brother says no, is it? Then th- he does. That, he, oh, he doesn't, but the rest of you would? Well, sometimes. Okay. All right. The other two might, sometimes. Other two I might mean, not. Yeah. I mean, I don't own. He, my brother has a ranch up in Idaho. I don't own any of that. Yeah. I'll, he said, well, you want in, and, and I, I was in for a while, but I didn't like the way it was being run. We had no toys. Uh, and just, uh, you know, one time my brother said something to the effect of, uh, I said, my kids want to come up. Well, they can't come unless you come. 
you're with them. And I'm going, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> well, be on. realistic. Yeah. So uh, my brother John uh, got bought out. And so he just said, you know what? You can come use it whenever you want. It's stupid. I use it all the time. You, you live in Kansas City. It takes me a day to get there. Mm-hmm. Got to fly someplace. And then you get on you another drive. plane to Spokane. And then you got to <laughs> drive an hour from Spokane. It's up in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, right? It's it's yeah. Coeur d'Alene's a half hour from Spokane, mm-hmm. and if you go past Coeur d'Alene, uh, another half hour. Right. It's in Catalda. It's right up in that little Idaho peninsula. That yeah, but it, it, it is a beautiful piece of property. Yeah. We got, I think, three miles of the Coeur d'Alene River run right nice. through it, and it's 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 fun. But there's really not much for me to do out there. Yeah. You know, you go fishing once in a while. Uh, my kids, when they were there, they did a long, we took them way upstream and they floated back down and then we picked them up at a certain yeah, time. Yeah. And, but it's, uh, it's, it's a beautiful place. It's just a hard place to get to. Yeah. And my brother, John, now he, he summers in, uh, he summers in Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. He has a right. place up there and then he lives in Palm Springs area yeah. in the, in the wintertime. Nice. Yeah. He, he, so he's got a good life too. Yeah. Y'all do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except for Bobby who just he refuses. Likes to work. He likes to work. <laughs> my brother, John and I like to play golf. Yeah, that's right. right. So, yeah. and, but, but you still all, all get along, which, you know, to me, the, the one part of your story I don't think a whole lot of people realize is that your three older brothers were all born in Brooklyn, New York. Right. Okay. And then all of a sudden, George Brett is born in some Wheeling, tiny, West Virginia. Yeah, some tiny little town outside of Wheeling, West never Virginia. Asked, never asked what the hell we were doing in what West Virginia. What the hell but are you doing in People West have told me, Frank, that it is a beautiful, beautiful state. Yeah, and you were and too young have, to know. I, I didn't. Yeah. I think we moved... To Southern California when I was two or three. Okay, so you don't remember West no, Virginia at all? No, right. I was playing golf uh, uh, about three years ago, two two or three years ago, up at Oakmont in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful, hard one of the hardest. It's my golf hometown. Courses, one yeah. of the hardest golf mm-hmm. courses I've ever played. You know that one hole with all those church pews? All yes, the, church pews. I mm-hmm. played it three days in a row. I was in the church pews all three days. <laughs> 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 there, there's a nice triple bogey. Yeah, right. You know, but. Uh, but um, it was like uh, where I grew up was like an hour from there. Yeah. And one day I was going to get a car, uh, just hire a service to drive me down there and take a quick look see. But we stayed in the club too late the, the night before. You <laughs> and, feel like getting and, up. and I decided to sleep in a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're, you're right. In fact, I covered Tommy's defense of the U.S. Open at Oakmont. Yeah. It was the next year. It was at in '83. It was at Oakmont. He'd won '82 at Pebble Beach, and I covered him there. But we used to we, when I was young. Uh, the drinking age in Pennsylvania was 21. The drinking age in West Virginia and Ohio, which is right there where southwestern Pennsylvania is, right, was 18. Right. So we'd run down to Wheeling or we'd run over to Youngstown, wow. okay, and go have a beer or two, yeah. like a bunch of idiots we were. And then the dumbest thing ever was turn around and drive and home. drive home. Okay. Was <laughs> which was just... They didn't have Ubers back then, <laughs> no, did they? They, no, they didn't have any Ubers. <laughs> or too many young kids with a lot of sense either. Yeah. So, yeah, we used to run a bit. Uh, yeah, Oakmont is... A wonderful place. And West Virginia is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, the mountains and the hills and the John Denver song and the whole thing. Right. It is a beautiful state, but it is. Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's the last two years. I mean, I love living in Kansas City, but yeah. I have to get out of here two weeks in July and two in August. So two years ago, my wife and I did. Uh, we flew into Spokane and then rented a car there and we drove to uh, uh Whitefish, Montana, uh-huh. and then down to Hamilton to have lunch with some friends, and then went to the Green O, which is outside Missoula, and then the Yellowstone Club in that area, and then drove to Sun Valley to see my niece. That's and a nice we two were gone weeks. two weeks. That's a nice two weeks. And she drove every inch of the way. Oh. Every inch of the way. <laughs> That's because she didn't trust you driving, no, I'm, right? I'm a bad driver. <laughs> I heard. I've I'm heard. a bad driver. <laughs> and and uh, last year we did Colorado. And what would the um, – the reason that we have to escape here is the humidity. Yeah. Is it real real humid in West Virginia? Oh yeah. Okay. So that it's, I yeah. was gonna say that might be a good trip, but yeah. if, if I'm I'm gonna try to escape the humidity for two weeks, I don't wanna go where it's humid. No, you you, you know, Montana, right, Colorado the last two years. This year, I think we're going to fly to San Diego and drive up the coast to Oregon. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. And here's the deal, and I don't know, I'm sure you, you could probably do this. We um Tim Grunhard and I and Tom Freeman and Mike Rosa, we went to Bend. I'm yeah. sorry, we went to Bend and Dunes. Right. Okay, and it was un freaking believable. Now, Leslie, does Leslie play golf? No. She, no, she doesn't play golf. No. So, in, in Bend and Dunes is mm-hmm. golf only. That's basically 
all that's there. There's a little town abandoned yeah. down the street, but there's nothing for anybody else My to do. My son Jackson's been there. They have like nine courses now, and yeah. it's as close to being in Ireland as as, as you it get is. in the United States. It is. Right? It is. It's a great place. And the weather, the weather is it. the same. But weather they say the, the winter, the winners are really good there. They are. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're really good. The only problem is they have one course. I think it's the, uh, is it the Sheep Ranch, the brand new one? I think the Sheep Ranch is the brand new one. It's up on the bluffs. Yeah. They have to close that course because of wind. Sometimes the wind is blowing 60, 70 miles yeah. an hour that they have to close. Not because of rain. or It's, it's just like Ireland. You, yeah. You've been there. If it rains, well, you've got a tea time. Go play. Yeah, okay, exactly. that's just what they do, and that's what they do. At or you can be well. like me. I was over in Ireland one time, and we, we, you know, you go over there for seven days. You play seven days in a row. Yeah. And it was about the fifth day we were there, and and I'm there with uh, Rush Limbaugh and and you know some uh, some of our friends, our close friends that we used to take trips together. Yeah. Me and Rush, Dave Broderick. Oh yeah. Um, Love Dave Hartley from Hawaii, uh, Taco and uh, and uh, T Bones from Charleston. And um, and one day it was raining, and I said, God, I don't like to play in the rain. And everybody's going, come on, we got to play. I said, yeah, I really don't play in the rain. Rush looks at me, and he says, well, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> either do I. Everybody went and played golf, but me and Rush, we just stayed in the hotel. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. He, he, hey, you guys go out. I, I'm not, I don't play in the rain. Yeah. I never play in the rain. Really? Yeah. That's I how Tom it. Watson says you get better playing in yeah. bad weather if you play in bad weather. George, yeah, come I, on. I like 70 <laughs> degrees. That's it. I know. I remember when I was like 60, I said, I'm never going to play golf again. If the weather is colder than my age. So I'm 60. If it's 60 degrees or 59, I'm not playing. It's too right. cold. I had to adjust that. I'm 70 now. So. Right. I'm wondering. <laughs> I had to adjust it. Yeah, you might not play a lot during the winter here if, right. you, uh, if, you are, uh, if you're trying to adjust to that. Sure. But, you know, you can play. I played. I play every month of the year here. Mm-hmm. Okay, which oh, yeah. you can always you can always yeah. find a game here. I mean, yeah. it's nice. No, enough. I mean it's nice. I think enough. I think today the high. I asked uh, Alexa. Before I was leaving, I think the high today, we're filming this on the, uh, taping this on the 17th, 18th, 18th mm-hmm. of December. Mm-hmm. And I think the high today 2023. is 45, I heard. <laughs> yeah, something like 45. that. 45. Like but there's no wind and the right. sun's out. It's perfect. You put on, you know, some long sleeves and, and a nice little windbreaker, sure. you're fine. You can wear your, your golf gloves. Yeah. You, you, can, uh, you, can, you can get through it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's no problem. And your relationship with Rush. Uh, a lot of people may or may not know that Rush was an employee for the Kansas City Royals, sure. and that is exactly how you he used Met to him. bring out the, the people who sang the Star Spangled Banner yeah. and I the Cub he, Scouts in the outfield, didn't he? Yeah, I yeah. think he, his job was uh, <laughs> escort out the first pitch ceremony, the who was going to sing the national anthem, and he worked in group sales. And uh, but he when he got there. That's the first time I met him, and, you know, he was single, I was single. He'd come down the locker room all the time, and, you know, we just developed a friendship, and and uh, uh, he was really good friends with my old secretary, Joni, Joni uh-huh. Fry. Joni Fry. And, uh, God bless and so, you, Joni. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, we were just a team. Uh, and who knows, who knew when he quit the Royals and, Went to work in Sacramento to be a disc jockey that he would turn out to be the Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I remember we would go to Oakland to play the A's. He would always come over. He'd always come over and watch a game. We'd go out and have a few beers after the game. And he was just a, a, real, a real nice guy. But the one thing that people don't realize about Rush, and probably half the people listening to this hate him and the other half love him. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and, uh, but how generous he was with his money and, and his time. He was unbelievable. He was an incredible man. Yeah. Uh, an incredible man. And I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I was playing in Gary Player's golf tournament down in Florida. And this gal, Catherine Rogers, invited me. And so I get down there, and she, I'm talking to her at the pairings party. And, and it was in the wintertime, and I was still living in Kansas City, so I said, yeah, man, I need to, I need to get out of here for three or four days. <laughs> so I went down and played in it, and she asked me, she said, hey, do you, uh, do you know any other celebrities? i got to get some more celebrities to play in this thing. And I said, well, i got a friend that lives right down the street in Palm Beach. Uh, I'm sure he'd love to play in it. He loves golf. He's taking it up. He's not very good, but he, he loves to play. And um, she and she said, "Who was it?" And I said, "Rush Limbaugh." She said, "Oh God, I could never invite him. <laughs> I could never invite him." <laughs> and I go, Catherine, let me tell you something. 
<laughs> he would be the most popular person here. He would be the most talked about person here because all the people that like him will go home and they'll, his, their friends will say, hey, um, so, uh, hey, you wouldn't believe who I met at the t- tournament, Rush mm-hmm. Limbaugh. And, oh, God, what was he like? You know, oh, God, he was a nice guy. And everybody that hates him would go, that asshole Rush Limbaugh was there. So you're going to get more. He's, his name's going to be mentioned more than Gary Players. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Don't forget you know? whose tournament it was. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it was some yeah. good golfer had a tournament. I met Rush Limbaugh down there. So they, she invites him. And, um, and we go to the pairings party the next year. And as I introduce Rush to Catherine, guess what? Five years later, they get married. <laughs> oh my god! Is that great? That is yeah. great. That is awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he didn't get married till later in life either. So, well, he was know. married a few times before. Oh, geez, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, he right. was married a few times. That's before. right. Yeah. Oh well, there mm-hmm. you go. One of those deals. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was a great guy. When did you know? Like the political thing. You know, it's funny. He left here. And I knew him when he was here, obviously, because I was here part of the time he was here. And then he left, and he started to do the radio thing. And then I'm down when the Royals went to Baseball City. Okay. okay. That deal. Um, I'm down in or- uh, Orlando. Right. Okay. And we're doing it. And the next thing you know, it's a Sunday morning or something. And I turn on the radio. I think it's a, Saturday, it's a weekend day. I'm almost positive. I turn on the radio, and I hear this voice I know. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, that's Rush Limbaugh. And he's doing politics. Yeah. And I'm going, how'd that happen? When did he? No, he, he was always in it, but you know, he always had wanted we, to do we, that. We we would have we would have sporting news, Sports Illustrated, and the sports page in the locker room. Yeah, we never had the front page. Nobody ever read that stuff. Right. So when he came in, and I'll tell you something, Jim Rome, I think is really good. If Rush wanted to be sports, he could have been Jim Jim Rome. Oh yeah, but his, Jim his, his his passion was politics, mm-hmm. and he never had any anybody really to talk about it. You know, with in the locker room because all we cared about was sports. Yeah. So he he just talked sports with us, and then when he went on to Sacramento and they said we want you to be a talk show, and then he was he was right where he, he was right in. where he belonged to be, yeah. and then from Sacramento to New York, and and then he had a TV show for a while, but uh, just a wonderful man. Yeah. And yeah, I know he... a lot of people don't like him, but hey, you know, I just just because he has right wing views doesn't mean he's a bad person. No, absolutely not. And and I have a lot of friends that have left-wing views. And they're your friends. And they're they're great friends. Sure. Because and I think I think that's the problem with the world today is that there's no you don't respect the other party, right. especially in Washington. You know, especially. There there's no middle ground. There there isn't. Zero. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, just, that's the problem. Right. And they're fighting against, and it's always individuals fighting against other individuals, and there's nobody there fighting for the country. Exactly. Fighting for the rest of exactly. us. You know, they're, do I'm mad right. at this guy. They and, should do what's right for our country, not what's right for their party. Exactly. And that's what I've always right. said. And always, you know, you're going to have to give, give and take. Sure. And that's all it is, is give and take. Mm-hmm. But nobody wants to give, yeah. and everybody wants to take. Yeah. And that's just been, you know, that's been really... Uh, do what's right. Situation. Do what's right for the country, not what's right for your party. Yeah, right. And, and our country would be in a better place right now. Yeah, you bet. All right, we were stuck in West Virginia there for a minute, and then uh, all of a sudden, you're growing up here in El Segundo, California. Transition from there to El Segundo, and I think that's your your first memory is is California, right? Yeah. And and so it was Dad. He was moving around. I think uh, your brother told me. John told me he was a Mattel toy guy at one time well, was there, he, and yeah then he, he was an accountant he was an accountant, an accountant for both them. of my parents were accountants oh okay yeah, yeah. and then he went to work for then Dotson. He went to nissan yeah. nissan okay nissan. yeah and he it was dotson back then yeah. nissan now yeah mm-hmm. um so he was he didn't stay very long in west virginia was there any any anybody talk ever about to stay in west virginia probably wasn't very long there, there wasn't much at all yeah I, I know my brother bobby had went back there and uh, he knew the house. He knew the address oh, that wow. where we used to stay, and he went and knocked on the door and introduced himself. And oh, yeah, I used to live in this house in 1953, 53 and 54. And you know, oh gosh, that's fine. And I'd like to do that someday. I just haven't done it. Yeah, just yeah, never done it. Okay, so you end up in El Segundo, yeah. uh, growing up the good life, Southern California. Mm-hmm. Of course, you think everybody in the country lives the same life you do exactly. at, at that point. Um, but it, that that had to be pretty idyllic for you and, and your brothers. At that yeah, point, right? it was uh, it was a real small town. Uh, I think there was fourteen thousand people. Mm-hmm. We were surrounded by the L.A. airport on on the north. We had the Hyperion, which where all the sewage goes uh, from <laughs> Southern California, it would go right down there, and they would 
cook it or do whatever and then shoot it out in the ocean. And then on the other side of town, there was a big standard oil refinery. And, uh, and uh, then to the, to the east, there was a street. And from there, there was, there was strawberry fields and just nothing mm -hmm. for about two or three miles. So we we're a really secluded little town. And uh, I, you hardly ever left El Segundo. You didn't have to. Yeah, right. You had you, the beach. You, you had everything yeah, you needed, I, right? We lived probably, as the crow flies, probably a half a mile from the ocean. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but uh, spent all almost every day in the summer at the beach, uh, body surfing, and uh, just hanging out there. And, and uh, then I'd come home and... Uh, maybe have a baseball game at six o'clock or five yeah. o'clock or seven o'clock at night. But, uh, yeah, the days were always at the beach. Yeah. Well, when did you know that, you know, I've got something here that I, you know, was it just from, well, I can look at my brothers and I remember your hall of fame speech around the greatest lines, which I did not see. This was the point I got upset in for your, uh, for your, uh, documentary. They didn't have that line, uh, from your Hall of Fame speech where you told your brothers, I just wanted to be as good as you. Well, I never was as good as them. I, mm -hmm. At least my dad always told me that. Yeah, I know. You know? And, uh, and uh, so, um, you know, I, I didn't play baseball my freshman year in high school. I, was, I uh, broke my wrist screwing around in the gym. And uh, they, you know how they had those springboards? Mm -hmm. So I, I was, when I was a freshman in high school, I was 4'11", I think 99 pounds. I was the smallest guy in the basketball team. Yikes. And I was the only guy in the team that couldn't touch the net on the C basketball team. And so, you know, when you shoot two balls and they get stuck in the net. Uh-huh. Somebody goes up and tries to. <laughs> Somebody goes up. <laughs> they would always say, George, could you get those? <laughs> because they it wanted was, to take it, a break. They knew yeah, you never it, it was classic. It was classic. <laughs> and, and so I, was, I jumped on that springboard, and I, we were dunking basketballs. And all of a sudden, I dunked one, and I was holding onto the rim. And the coach looked out the, the window, with, uh, this little window that they had, and he saw me, and he opens this thing, and he says, let go of that rim. And so I let go immediately. But as I let go, my legs were swinging mm -hmm. back. And then I fell and tried to break my fall and broke my wrist. Wow. So I didn't get to play baseball my freshman year. Yeah. But my sophomore year, I made the varsity team and started. Yeah. And uh, playing what I position? Was, I was third point. base. Okay, third base, and then uh, I, th I think I was third base the next year, and because uh, we had an older mm -hmm. classmate or classman uh, that was the shortstop, and then my senior year I think is when I moved to shortstop. Okay, but uh, you know when I was starting, and I and I I did pretty well. I don't know what my batting average was, but I think I hit like uh, second or fifth or something. And I was a sophomore, and then my junior year, I hit third, played, you know, was all all league and stuff. And then mm -hmm. my senior year, you know, I was all CIF shortstop. And, yeah, right. And, and uh, California Interscholastic Federation. Federation, shortstop. yeah. Yeah. And, it's a uh, big deal. Yeah, and, and I think my last two years, we lost two games. We lost one game, one to nothing, uh, one year, and we lost a game. No, we lost three games. We lost a game early in the year, and then we lost in the state championship mm -hmm. game in, in Anaheim Stadium uh, my junior year. And then we lost one game all that next year. We lost one to nothing. I'll never forget that. And then we ended up uh, winning this uh, state championship yeah. uh, against a team that beat us the year before. Right. And they had two first-round picks on it, Roy Howell and Roy Thomas. Oh, wow. Roy Thomas was a, a third baseman for a long time in the big leagues. You know, he probably played 10, 12 years. Yeah. Anybody else on your team? Scotty McGregor, 20-game winner. Right. He Scotty was a McGregor. year behind me. Yeah, okay. But my senior year, we had six, six seniors on the team, and all six of us got drafted to oh, play. Oh, wow. And nobody had a college scholarship. Yeah, I, I was going to ask so you It's so weird. That. I never yeah. had a college scholarship, and, you know, other guys were going to college, but – you know, I graduated. I was 5'10", 175. I, I still hadn't grown. I, right. I was still growing. And um, Scotty McGregor uh, was the uh, junior on our team my senior year. Scotty was a first-round pick by the uh, New York Yankees. Mm -hmm. So I was a second-round pick. We had some, like, eighth-round picks, 10th-round picks, 20th-round picks. But, uh, yes, it's pretty good to have seven guys drafted off a high school team. Yeah, no wonder. He only lost yeah, one game in exactly. or two games in two years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the other deal is, okay, so the pros see something in you that somehow the colleges missed because you would think 
being in Southern California and Arizona's close or whatever, that in Arizona, Arizona State, USC, UCLA, you know, Cal Berkeley, somebody that played that has baseball, yeah. and baseball was huge mm-hmm. back in those days, wouldn't have come to you and said, Hey George, you'd like you can go to school here and you can play baseball here as well. Right. But that yeah, just I, I that didn't just didn't any. happen. Rod Dato, who was the coach at USC, was interested, but he thought I needed to go to junior college for a couple of years. Okay. So Arizona State, Bobby Winkles, no. And it's funny, I I I got a chance to know Bobby pretty well because he ended up going to the Chicago White Sox. Mm-hmm. And um, and so uh, I remember talking to him one day when he, his first year on the job as manager of the White Sox, and I had, I was like 23, 24 years old. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, I just got to introduce myself. You know, I'm George Brett and he, I know who you are. And I said, well, you know, I was, I was hoping to go to Arizona State, but you didn't think I was good enough. And I'm, I, I want to thank you for that because I've been at the big leagues for three years and already got a batting championship <laughs> under my belt. <laughs> and he said, yeah, we had a pretty good shortstop when you, were, when you would have been coming. And that's why I didn't want you. It was Alan Bannister who was a number one pick in the oh, draft wow. that one year. Yeah, so right. they didn't need me, and 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 he knew that Alan was going to you know be shortstop. And sure. so, yeah. But there are a lot of other schools out there. Right. You're a CIF first team. Yeah. On this team that has and all played, these players and, and played in the state championship game <laughs> at Anaheim Stadium in front of thirty thousand people two and, years in a row, and probably every scout from Major League Baseball yeah. is there, and all your college baseball scouts are there as well. And yeah. You're sitting there and. Okay, nobody wants me. I'll just go yeah. play major league. Baseball. I remember the night before the draft, the Red Sox called, the Angels called, the Giants called, and uh, God, there was one other team that called, but they all called and they and they all said, "Hey, we're going to draft you. Are you going to are you are you going to go to college? If yeah. we draft you, are you going to sign? Or are you going to go to college?" And and I just said, "I'm signing." I didn't tell them I didn't have any college scholarships. Yeah, right. You just said I'm going to sign. Yeah, I'm signing. Yeah. Yeah, so they knew, and then, you know, you get drafted in the second round. Did that surprise you? Yeah, I didn't know. Uh, my coach my coach thought I'd, I was a possible first-rounder. Oh, wow, okay. Um, the Red Sox called, and they they came. They saw me play a lot. Uh, the scout that signed my brother uh, had seen me play. He brought in the, the head guy, the head minor league guy, to mm-hmm. uh, come watch a game one time, and then they came back to practice the next day. And uh, so I thought, you know, maybe, God, how great would it be to go to Fenway? Well, the Red Sox had some other guy in mind, uh, a guy that was a lot bigger than me, Jim Rice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pretty good pick. Yeah, that's pretty good took pick. Took Jim yeah. Rice instead of me. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's uh, not bad, yeah. And then the Angels took Tanana, Frank Tanana. Yeah. And the Giants took a, another third baseman because uh, I played against him in rookie league and in A-league. Uh, God, God, I think his name was Gallagher or something. But yeah, didn't uh, make it. Good, he didn't make it. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know anything about the Kansas City Royals, and they're the ones that drafted me. Yeah, and uh, probably a desire maybe to play for the Dodgers or the Angels well, or at somebody time, in California at, at that, that time. time San I Diego. You know, to be honest with you, I didn't I, I've, I didn't know if Kansas City was in Missouri or Kansas. Yeah, sure. I didn't know Some people still don't know where it is. Well, it's in both, you know. You can't be wrong. Kansas sure. City, Missouri or Kansas City, Kansas. But, um you know, it, it it was good. I mean, it was a good opportunity for me. Yeah. Um, let's say I would have got drafted by the Orioles, and they had a guy named Brooks Robinson yeah. playing third base because mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't a shortstop. I knew they were going to move me. I thought they'd move me to second base or, or third base. But because at at that time, at that time, I was, I was, you know, maybe well, I was five ten, one seventy, one seventy five, and you could play shortstop or second base. And then I started getting bigger and bigger and, you know, stronger, six foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Six foot, 200 and uh, throughout my whole career, basically. But um, and at that point, you can be almost a little bit too big for shortstop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what I mean? Back in the I day. mean, there are. Yeah. Back in the day. Back now, in the day. obviously, you have. Right. Yeah. But, you know, to get drafted by the Royals, Frank, was ideal because they only they became a team in 69. Right. And I got drafted in 71. So they didn't have 50 years or 60 years of, of minor league system to build up. Right. You know, and they had two years. So it was a little easier for me to advance through the ranks. You know, I played rookie league, and I think I was all rookie league, uh, one of the youngest players in the league. And then I went to the Cal League, and I think I made that all-star team mm-hmm. as the, one of the youngest players in the league. And then I went to AAA, youngest guy on the team, and I made that all-star team. Right. You know, and – and uh you know, and then Kansas City came calling, and at first it wasn't pretty, but they stuck with me, and yeah. and I got better, and 
figured out some things and ended up, you know, 20 years playing for the Royals, which was fantastic. Yeah, I, I it think might it, not ever happen if I was drafted by anybody else. Absolutely, because baseball is so fickle that way. I yeah. mean, it, you need a chance. And then you have to have a team that believes in you. But there are some teams that don't give anybody, like the Yankees or even the Boston Red Sox or the Angels, the Dodgers, these big market, you know, you, you have one bad year, one bad half year, they call you up and you bat 190 or 200 or whatever, and they go, ah, that kid's not going to make it. He, we're going to throw him on the scrap heap. And then nobody else wants to take a chance with you. But you went to work, and it wasn't just a fluke that you became who you became. And the big name for you was Charlie Lau. Yeah, I mean that was that was a big name. Your your batting instructor. Yeah, he was uh, he was probably more instrumental in in my career than anybody. You know, I was I hit 125 my first stint in the big leagues in '73, '74 at the All Star break, hitting 200, and he just said, "Hey, like I haven't seen you make any adjustments yet." And I said, "Charlie, I really don't know what adjustments to make. I'm just hitting the way I, I've yeah. always hit." He said, "Well, it ain't working." He says, "You want to, you want to be able to. I think I can help you, but you're gonna have to give me your heart and soul." And I did. Changed everything about my swing. Moved me off the plate. Got the bat parallel to the ground. I used to hit like Yaz because I love Yaz Yaskramski. And and um, Charlie said, "You're no Yaz. You're, you're no Carl Yaskramski. You gotta. We're, we gotta find something that works for you." And gotta be. Man, we Brad. went to work. We went mm-hmm. to work, and we hit every day. And and uh, all of a sudden, you know, I started getting some hits. I started gaining more confidence. And the more confidence you have, the easier this game is to play. And uh, I maintained that confidence basically my whole career. Yeah, and the rest is history at that point. Yeah. But, but he also worked on you mentally as well, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. well, just never be satisfied, yeah. you know. Uh, don't be content. Never be content. You know, he, he always told me, he says, the difference – between a 250 hitter and a 300 hitter is a guy that hits 250 will get a hit his first at bat and end up going one for four. Right. A guy that hits 300 gets a hit his first at bat and he gets a hit his second at bat and he gets one third at bat. Because some days you're going to go for four. Yeah, sure. Some days it's just going to happen. You could hit three balls on the nose and and strike out once and you go over four. You could hit four balls on the nose just right at people. And uh, he 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 really instilled in me. Sometimes I'd get frustrated. Uh, I'd get frustrated, and all he would tell me is, hey, you have one job. Your job is to hit the ball hard. Yeah. If they catch it, so be it. And I remember as hitting coach, I, I had that talk with some of the guys in 13 on the Royals. They were, get, they were a little frustrated because they weren't hitting. And I remember going up to Mike Moustakis one time, and, and he was yelling and screaming, and I said, Mike, you got one job. All your job is to hit the ball hard, and he hit a rocket. The guy never even moved in center field. And he came in, he was throwing his helmet and cussing up and down. And I went over, and he basically said, leave me alone. <laughs> so I said, okay. You know, that's because well, you get frustrated. And I, I know and you believe do. me, I don't. You I, don't want to hear it. Yeah. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. So. But, but, but having you there, I think, to me, if I were a young player, and I know all of them didn't do this with you, even though you've been with the Royals, you know, for 50 years. Uh, the you know situation where there there's George Brett Hall of Famer, three different decades batting title you know, <laughs> whatever he's sitting right there. Go ask him a question about hitting. You know if yeah. you're having, having trouble, go ask him. And the kids nowadays just they, they don't do they, that. Do well, that. that was that was about what the launch angle stuff was. Oh coming yeah, out. the and, analytics. And, stuff and I was yeah, there. I was not. I'm not a launch angle guy and. So we didn't hit it off. I mean, my theory, sure. my theory on hitting didn't didn't uh, add up with what the guys back then were doing. Mm-hmm. But I, I I just tried to bring a mental approach to hitting. You know, mm-hmm. then I, I knew I couldn't convince anybody right. uh, about it. I, I, I was always concerned. You know, we had uh, Alex Gordon. Alex Gordon always practices, takes all his practice swings, and I love Alex as a person. Mm-hmm. And I think he was a great player for the Royals for many years and soon to be Hall of Famer. But I just never, I, and I've asked him, and he just said this is his routine. And, but I, I never understood the routine. But he would take all his practice swings and batting practice and everything with two hands on the bat, and then the game starts, he'd take one off. Mm-hmm. Eric Hosmer would, would, would do it the opposite. Every swing and batting practice, he would take, with, take his top hand off after contact to get extension through, 
and then the game would start, he'd leave them both on. And I would always <laughs> ask these guys, why don't we practice the way we play? Exactly. Don't you think that would make it better? And they both said, well, that's my routine. I oh, said, okay, okay, you got me. Gosh. But the, they were they were both had great years, and you know, sure, that, that always boggled my mind. Yeah, it I, just there was always there, and you're sitting there, and I'm just going, these guys, they have no idea. Yeah, the asset is he's sitting on his ass in the dugout with you the whole time. He's at spring training with you the whole time, yeah. I, and then then he's up in in the booth the whole time. He's just right upstairs, and he's down in the clubhouse after the game's over. He's right there. It just it always boggled my mind. Yeah. The, the the other thing that that uh, came out pretty poignantly in the uh, MLB, Brett, the docu was your father, mm -hmm. and obviously how tough. I always knew your dad was tough on you, and because we had we we had talked about it in the past, but I never knew how tough or how brutal that was with you and your brothers and your mom having to grow up with your dad the way he was when you were growing up. And I, to me, it was amazing that everybody in that family could overcome that situation with your father. Yeah. And I, I think that is, to me, that's just phenomenal, especially the way you are now. You and your brothers and your mom had, you broke that cycle, you know, which is that cycle where, where he was abusive to you guys. You could have been abusive to your kids or your wife or anything along the line, but it just, it just, didn't happen. All of you guys broke that cycle, which I yeah, well, it's, just think is phenomenal. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, just think it, 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 when when all my brothers were at home and I was I was the youngest. So let's say JB leaves when he's 19 years old. Uh, so Ken would have been 17, Bobby 15, I would have been 13. Right. And, and then, so JB leaves, I still have two brothers at home. And the next thing you know, Ken leaves day after he graduates high school and goes and plays baseball uh, for the Red Sox. Now it's just me and my brother Bobby, and then Bobby goes to college. Now it's just me, mm -hmm. and uh, and it was. Uh, I mean, there were times at dinner I didn't say a word. Just me, him, and his mom. I just sit there and I wouldn't say a word. I was afraid that I was going to get yelled at or you something. Say the wrong thing. And I I I'll tell you what a, a bad person he was. Um, uh, after he retired, we, or what a bad husband he was. Uh, after he retired, we took him out to dinner. My parents got divorced uh, about five years after I, I graduated high school uh, because they wanted they moved to Manhattan Beach from El Segundo, and they wanted okay let's let's just move over there and maybe we can rekindle everything yeah, right. get out of the house and and so uh, me and my brothers were going to throw him a party for uh, his, when he retired from work. And so he just said, no, I don't want a big party. Let's just go out and have dinner with my boys. So four of us go to a little Mexican restaurant that we, we all love, Paco's Tacos in Westchester. And we go there, and he said, hey, i got to come clean with you guys. Okay, what's that, Dad? Uh, you guys uh, have a brother that lives up in, uh, up in upstate New York somewhere. Oh, wow. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So then he dies in 92. I go to the funeral, and I see some gal there, and she's talking to my mom and uh, my brother Ken uh, and so I walked up, and I noticed at the church that, you know, she was taking my death, my dad's death pretty hard. Mm -hmm. And so I walked up to her, and I said, hey, I, I, I don't know who you are. Um, uh, did you work with my father and my brother Ken? Says, uh, George, this is your uh, sister, your half-sister. Oh, wow. I go, what? What are you talking about? Well, dad, and she was probably... Five years younger than I was. Okay. And then. So this is after the move from New York yeah. and West Virginia. Now yeah. you're in El Segundo. So, and now we're back in New dad, York again. Evidently, my dad liked to play the piano. Who knows? He wasn't very faithful to my mother. Okay. And then she says, yeah, I have another sister. So that's two. That's yeah. three. Oh, that's three. three. I'm sorry. Yeah. So that's a bad husband. Wow. That's a bad husband. Wow. And let's, let's end it at that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely, but but again, I do commend you and your brothers yeah. for overcoming everything. And Ethel, of course, she was just lovely. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, well, my mom, my mom knew she couldn't raise four boys by herself, so no. she, she just stuck with it. Yeah, she knew what the hell was going on. Absolutely, what, what's she, she gonna do? Yeah, what's she gonna do? Yeah, she's got you four running yeah. around, and you were the exactly. last one there. Were, were, was he? In, in, 
just was it tougher on you because you're the youngest, the last one at home? I, I'm not going to belabor this point. I'm just saying, was there was was there a favorite? Was there one who didn't take a whole lot of grief, and the other three are going, "Come on, Dad." Well, Kemmer and Bobby, not much. Kemmer didn't take any. I don't think. Okay, he didn't take any because he was a perfect kid. He was. He was a great student and a great athlete, and he didn't get in any trouble. My brother John and I got in some trouble. My brother Bobby, he got in a little bit of trouble, but not much. He yeah. was a better student than my brother John and I, and he was a great athlete, great basketball player, great baseball player. Yeah. And uh, um, so, you know, I think JB got it the worst. I got it I got it the second worst because because I was the only one at home. You are the last one. Yeah, I was, uh, there were times when, you know, there's no one else to take it out. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, like I said, congrats to you and your yeah. brothers for stopping that that vicious circle. Let me ask you a question. If the baseball thing, and it's crazy because you'd always played baseball, whatever. If you hadn't been drafted and the baseball thing didn't work out, is there anything you think you would have been or somebody <laughs> you would have been otherwise? I know you do all these things. You got a lot of personality, and I know you didn't go to college or whatever. I don't think that that bothers you, especially the way you, your life ended up. But the deal would it was there something else that George Brett? Have you ever sat down and thought about? My God, if I wouldn't have played baseball, what in God's name no, would have happened to I me? Don't, yeah. I have no. I'd never thought about that. My brother John had a really. Uh, successful uh, building company. His construction houses. company, yeah. He built, uh, you know, track homes. He'd build 150 of them at a time. I probably would have been one of those guys working mm-hmm. for him. Who knows? Yeah. Um, God, I just, you know, I'm just thankful that baseball did work out because the 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 great quote my mom told me one time is <laughs> my mom and dad were having dinner and I wasn't home and they were talking about me. This is when all my brothers are gone, and, and I might have been at a practice or I might have been out, and they, the two of them are home, and they go, poor George. He's probably going to live with us the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> is that a great line? Yeah, that I love is, that line. Th- that is an awesome line. And, and the other one is superstitions. How many superstitions did you have? I know I know athletes I didn't have really superstitions. Have one. Do you I, have I any? Really, I didn't. You know, have stepping any. on the line as you oh, go no. out and I couldn't all that remember sort of stuff. what I did the the, <laughs> the day before. You know, if you stepped on the line, did I step on the and get three hits or oh my god, I can't do that. I went over for four that day. I didn't have anything like that. But the one thing that I always did, I always during the national anthem, and I've done this my whole life ever since little league. I would say the little league pledge. I trust in God, I love my country, and will respect its laws. I will play fair and strive to win, but win or lose, I will always do my best. I would say that to myself every time I heard the national anthem. In fact, every time I hear the national anthem to this day, I say it. Do you still say it? Do you say still it out say loud? It. No. Okay. Just, just say it to myself. Wow. Yeah. Still say it. And so you were. And a, all that is is it makes you feel like you're a kid again. Sure, absolutely. You know. Yes, that's a yeah. great thought. Yeah. It that just awesome. it just made baseball fun. Gosh, I trust in God. I love my country and will respect its laws. Uh, I'll play fair and strive to win, but win or lose, I will always do my best. Wow. Yeah. That is just uh, mm-hmm. it's incredible. You also said, uh, I'm not too serious about anything. No. I thought that's a great – I think that's one of your best quotes. I ever. try not to be serious about yeah. anything. Yeah. The more serious you are, the more stress you put on, and, and stress causes heart attacks. Yeah. You know? We don't need that. You're no, staying pretty – you stay in good shape. Stress, stress also causes hemorrhoids, I found <laughs> out in 1980. <laughs> <laughs> why so me? Like why not yeah. Joe McGuff? Yeah, why not Joe McGuff? Uh, I, I remember that. And, and, and the other thing that uh, I've, I've got to give you credit for and something that you've always done, you've always mm-hmm. given back to this city, okay, with ALS. Yeah. Um, uh, he, did, he even did PETA with the dogs and, uh, dogs and yeah. hot cars. Right. Um, uh, you were, uh, you know, with the, you support the military. You've, you've done the podcast with people. You are still... You're still as well-known, really, today, and I know you don't think so, but you're almost as still well-known today. It's why MLB will come out with a documentary while you're still alive. George Brett, this is, he's still around today, you know, yeah. 50 years later to be in there. And just the, the idea that you have given back so much to this community that you have gotten a lot out of, but there's a lot of people just walk away, and it's fine. I gave them all I could give them, and I'm right. done. But you never did that. No, I, I stuck around. I mean, like, I got... I'm still one of Sarah Soldiers, you know, Sarah, the, my girlfriend. Sarah Nauser. Yeah, with yes, uh, ALS. ALS. Uh-huh. In fact, we're doing something this year. They're having a big dinner. I think it's in March. I think it's during spring training. I'm going to fly home for it. But uh, they're doing a big dinner for ALS, a fundraiser for ALS. Mm-hmm. And 
it's going to be it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good dinner. We used to have that night of hope a lot. I remember. And then it was always during there. spring training and spring training, and it was hard for me to leave. But this year, they're going to do one because I've had I think forty golf tournaments for ALS now. Yep. I think I had my fortieth one. And unfortunately, I got a co-partner now in Tom Watson yes, because he lost his caddy, uh, Bruce Edwards, to mm-hmm. ALS. And Tom's kind of said, hey, I'm going to do what I can to f- help find a cure and to make people's life more comfortable that get this disease because right. it is the most stupid, deadliest, Awful. ugliest disease that you could get. And and I'll, I'll never, I have met probably 200 patients over the course of my being involved, you know, and, and 198 of them are dead. Right. And the quality of their life had, was the last six months, a year, five years is terrible. Right. However long it lasts. Takes away everything but your brain. Yeah. Which is... Yeah. You're, you're trapped. Right. And, and there's other diseases like Alzheimer's, uh, your whole body works, but your brain doesn't. Right. So, I mean, it's crazy. But uh, so we're going to do uh, they're going to uh, do a nice dinner, uh, five auction items. It's going to be, uh, from what I understand, it's going to be a really, really good time. I mean, they've talked to some uh, people of my friends of mine that say, George, you know, anybody that might want to uh, buy a table and stuff. Sure. And got one guy that I haven't seen in probably 20 years, but probably probably was one of the richest guys I ever knew. Uh, Ted Waite, who started Gateway Computers, he was 39 years old, worth seven billion dollars, and I said, "Well, yeah, Cook, I send him a. He's come and do it." Oh, that's awesome! I haven't seen Ted. Last time I saw Ted was probably six years ago at three in the morning in Las Vegas at the cashier's window. <laughs> You're both actually I was, cashing I, in. I was cashing in some green chips. He was cashing in some orange ones. Okay, yeah, right. I got you. I understand where that goes. Yeah, but he says he's coming, and yeah. and uh, so yeah, it's going to be a fun night, and and hopefully some of the listeners will come out and yeah. and and support ALS because uh, if you've ever met anybody with this disease too, and this is the most incredible thing about it. You know you're, the doctor's giving you a death sentence, mm-hmm. but it's almost like a pride of, I'm going to die of the same disease Lou Gehrig did, and I'm going mm-hmm. to hold my health, I'm going to keep my head high, and, and I'm going to be as positive as I can be till, till death takes me. Right. It, it is incredible. It is incredible. The people that I've met with the courage and the bravery and, and, uh, and the wherewithal to, to fight that that disease, right? And they know they're not going to find a life a cure in their lifetime. Yes, right. But right. to come out and and try to be an advocate of of patients that you know have just been diagnosed, yeah. you know, and 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 talk them through it. We had a night, uh, Lou Gehrig night at the stadium. They have every year now yes. in every major league stadium. And John Sherman had a friend of his, the owner of the Royals, that was just diagnosed with ALS up in his box, and I had a bunch of people, there's probably 15, 20 people with ALS at the stadium that night. And they were driving six hours in cars to come to the game. And uh, and uh, she wanted to go meet some of the other people that have had ALS mm-hmm. for two or three years. And her husband wanted to talk to the spouses, okay, you know, how, you know, and stuff like that. And yeah. it was really a moving experience. It really was. Yeah. I had a friend, he was my uh, athletic trainer at Villanova when I played there and get taped with him every uh, Sunday morning or every Saturday morning for the game. And his name was Jake Nevin. He was a U.S. Olympic track and field trainer when uh, Jumbo Elliott, the former track coach of Villanova, was there, and he died from ALS. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first guys I knew. And then, of course, Joe McGuff, mm-hmm. again, the wonderful columnist for the uh, for the uh, Kansas City Star and just a wonderful guy, and that's what you and Tommy are doing now. But I think one of the things that gives people the courage to do it and the inspiration to do it is the fact that you and Tommy are involved as well, and I think that gives them – not hope because, like you said, it it just it, it's a death sentence. But it, it gives them a reason to live, yeah. and I think that I think that's one of the most important things that uh, that you guys have done. And I just think that's great. So, so Tommy Tommy's done a tremendous job. He does, and, have, and yeah. you know, he went to Stanford, and, and you know, we'll go at our conference at our um, golf tournament. We always do a little news conference, and you know, they say Colleen, the president of the ALS chapter, will get up, say a few words, and then they'll ask. 
Tom some questions, and then all of a sudden Tom will say, well, they have this new gene or this new drug, and it's called so. And you know, I can't even say. I try <laughs> to reorder. To I, I try to reorder my medication that my cardiologist has me taking, and I got to call them up and I go, "What is this?" I'm just going to give you the number. You know, <laughs> the number on the prescription label. Yeah. And he's he's got the name, and and he does all the scientific. Yeah. But Tom Tom really studies it. He, yeah, he does. He's he's real involved. Yeah. with it so yeah my head goes man. off to him hey i appreciate your time today okay pal you are a good man um love you uh known you since 81 and I've, i told tom this too when he was in here and i wrote you a little note when i retired from tv i said uh, if it wasn't for you uh and tom i said accepting me in, and i know you guys never had a problem with the press that wasn't the deal it was just accepting me this guy coming in from the outside and accepting me here in this town. Uh, yeah, I know. You thought I was going to be throwing stuff at you like to do at Santa yeah. Claus half the time. So, but it was, uh, yeah, it was just, I just thought one it was of those inter- I thought it was interesting what Mike Schmidt said in the documentary about how he, how, how different we were. Oh, yeah, you know? right. How I embraced everybody, and he was like this. Yeah, he didn't want to see anybody <laughs> yeah. from Philadelphia. And you know what? If, but, if, but if Mike Schmidt would have played here, been different. he might have been. Right. Embracing everybody, and if I would have been in Philadelphia, I might have been like this, yeah. or Who New knows? York, yeah, or Who Boston, knows? any of those. You yeah. don't know, but yeah. but this is obviously, I think it's a lot easier town to play in yeah. Kansas City than Philadelphia. Boston, I think, would be pretty good, even if you're not, even if you're having a bad year. I think they stick with you a little bit, but Kansas City, I think, when you compare Kansas City, the people. And I'll tell you another good thing about this town. I don't know anybody that's not involved with some type of charitable work. And all my friends back home, back home that I grew up with, I don't know anybody that is involved in any charity charity work. You know? Yeah. But it, that's that's Kansas City. Yeah. And yeah. that's why, you know, I wear these a lot. I wear Kansas City. Right. You know, I don't wear royal stuff, but I'll yeah. wear and, – and I love the Charlie Hustle. I, a lot of times I wear the, a hoodie like this – with the heart on it, with KC. Sure. I wear those all the time. I think I got every color. And um, uh, just happy to be a – I'm really happy just to say, you know, people, hey, where do you live? I live in Kansas City. Yeah. yeah. I don't say Missouri. I don't say Kansas. I just say I live in Kansas City. <laughs> well, you do. Yeah. You live in both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're in the right. metro. Right. You go over there. I know you're a crazy soccer fan. They're oh, over on there are there's over on the Kansas side. I saw the shirtless shimmy. Yeah. I, I saw that when uh, I when, was with uh, Kami, Mike Commodore, a buddy of mine from Arizona, who's good friends with the Illigs, <laughs> and he was in town, and he ended up going. We ended up going to a game, and and I was wearing my Johnny Russell shirt that night. Yeah, and uh, and uh, so Johnny scored his second goal, and that I, was it. I, I just went crazy, took my shirt off, started swinging it. <laughs> 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 oh God! Yeah. So we love about you, partner. Yeah. Well, and and, he, and you know what's great? I, I I really like soccer. I really do. I know you do. Wrexham's a great show. You ever watch Wrexham? Oh yeah. Yeah. Watch that. Um, uh, but uh, they have their spring training in or winter training in Phoenix, mm-hmm. and the Illigs and and I've been friends for a long time. The whole family, and uh, Mike took me out to uh, uh, practice one day. And then the next year we went to a game. They had a, a scrimmage, but you know you're kind of standing and you're watching them. And God, I'm just watching them going. God, these guys are so good. They're like hockey players, you know. Yeah. They, you know, they use their 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 stick and their and their hands. But these guys and the precision of the passing and some of the drills they do. And uh, you watch Peter coaching them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then one time they were doing these side kicks and guy was running. And the goalie was there, and and I said, yeah, "How hard is it to be a goalie?" <laughs> I'm standing behind the goalie, that, and I swear to God, I'm going, "You gotta be shitting me!" <laughs> goalie would be tough. Oh, goalie it would really, really tough. be tough. Absolutely. Oh, I, but I was amazed at the speed of that ball and the, how fast it can change directions, and the hook and the spin and stuff. And I went to the last four home games this year, and. Um, and they won them all, so it was great. I'm going to go to a lot more next year. Yeah, I I'll really bet. enjoy yeah. it out there. And uh, Peter Vermees is perfect. a great guy, and yeah. he's perfect for mm-hmm. this town and yeah. this city. He is so honest and, and upfront. And and, 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 and I think that uh, I'm going to try the uh, the girls t- 
team. I want to go see oh, that. Oh, yeah. I want to go see that, that the current, stadium. Casey yeah. Current, yeah. yeah. Brand new stadium in the, uh, right. yeah. It's, Chris uh, and Angie Chris and Angie Long. Long. Yeah. yeah. They bought my old house that yeah. I lived in. Yeah, they've done yeah. a great job with that team. Unbelievable. And finance Unbelievable. all that stuff by themselves. Yeah. And then all, everything they're putting in there is local. All the food, all the booze, all the beer, everything they're putting in that stadium for concessions. They're all local companies. I just think they just have, boy, they're. They're going to have Coors they're, Light? Their vision, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. They better. You won't go. Yeah. Well, you could probably smuggle a little bit in yourself, but that's uh, that's it. Yeah. But but I think anybody who thinks about Kansas City, I think one of the first people they think about is George Brett, and uh, always have. And even the guys in 14 and 15, I know they're you know you got Moose and you know the Hosmer and you know Alex and, and the whole deal. But I just still think you are Mr. Kansas City, well, not just from baseball. But from, from everything else you've done. You're too kind. You're a good man. Thank you, sir. And, folks, that's why we say there's just something about Kansas City. There's just something about it. Thanks, And when you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> <laughs>